Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, guess what? Before we get into it, you might have heard, I am drafted to the two Ramagpies as a part of the Carlton Draft. I'm going to be playing a game, dominating, kicking six, and then resetting at quarter time. For the first time in Carlton Draft history, one lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Erin Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good's that? If you want to enter this now to get her down to your football club, visit thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup, exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dylan Friends Podcast. This week, we have a very, very special guest. Hugo Tuvi is a two-time cancer survivor with an incredible story. At 19 years of age, Hugo's life drastically changed when he was first diagnosed with testicular cancer. He shares his incredible journey with us in beating the disease over a five-year period, as well as what he learnt along the way. However, unfortunately, his story did not finish there. Two months after first being cleared in remission from this insidious disease, he was then diagnosed with bowel cancer, which he has bravely battled through but still has lasting effects on his everyday life today. Now, Cancer Free shares his story to encourage early prevention, keeping on top of our physical and mental health, and most importantly, being proactive in checking in with a GP. Hugo teaches us to not put these uncomfortable checkups off, and I know I'll be taking this more seriously. I learned so much from this great man about not taking life for granted, being positive in any situation, and identifying what's important in life. Guys and girls, this is obviously a pretty heavy topic, and this chat isn't designed to scare people whatsoever, but... If anything, it does show us we're not bulletproof and we need to be more proactive with our health in general. There are some sensitive topics we touch on regarding mental health, so please, if there is any triggers for you, know there is some support and there'll be plenty of links in the bios to access. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. I cannot thank Hugo enough for his time and cannot wait for you to have a listen. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some light-hearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Hugo Tuvi, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Uh, it's an honour, it's a pleasure, and I'm very, very excited to have you on the show today, my friend. So welcome. Good idea. Thanks for having me, and I'm uh, pretty excited too, and it's uh, looking forward to our chat. Yes, yes, so am I, mate. Um, honestly, uh, in all honesty, I am very, very honoured to, to have you on the show, mate. Someone... Of your calibre and, and character and, and the journey you've had is is nothing short of remarkable. And I know you don't like the words inspiring because I've, I've listened to a lot of your chats um, and I, I know it doesn't sit well with you, but it, it really is it really is true, mate. And I can't wait to tell it today and hopefully we can make a bit of a difference and I'm sure we will and um, looking forward to getting into it. Thanks, Legend. Appreciate it. Now, mate, I know your story probably starts, obviously you weren't born at 18 years of age. There were some things that happened before that um, growing up. Quickly, maybe give us a quick, I suppose, rundown of your first few years. Were you a young man growing up in, in Adelaide? Yeah, I was, mate. So 
born and raised in Adelaide, um, sort of near the city area. So had a pretty, uh, pretty fortunate, privileged upbringing, which I'm uh, very grateful for. So I, uh, you know, the uh, diehard Crow supporter ever since I was was very young. Um, and yeah, loved, loved my time in Adelaide, mate. The reason I can tell you from South Australia, though, is because South Australians all have a bit of a twang in their voice. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, no, I have been. I have been told that from uh, from people actually that I, I've got this, especially people from overseas or different states. So, uh, yeah, I think you're probably onto something there. Um, so, mate, <laughs> I suppose growing up as a young man in Adelaide, um, life's good. Uh, graduate school and you head to move into the army. Um, firstly, how, when was that ever on your mind? How did you make that decision, and and what you know sort of came about it? Yeah, pretty much, mate. So I, um, you know, I've got no family history of of people in the army. Never really wanted to to join the army, but it was literally probably year eleven when I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was pretty keen on med, but um, I probably wasn't smart enough for for doing med. So I pretty uh, pretty quickly needed to come up with a plan B. Um, and then uh, I heard of this this ad for Australian Defence Force Academy, this this army concept where you basically move to Canberra for four years and. You get uh, get paid to study and do a degree, and you also do some army training. So, basically, applied for that, and one thing led to another. And before you knew it, I was I was yeah, signed the dotted line and signed my life away, mate. What is, I suppose, a part of the army? Because I'm a massive fan at the moment of a show on television called the SAS, and I've been watching that flat stick. I even went on YouTube and I'm watching like all of the back ones of the UK version of this show. Um, even when I was playing footy, you know, we used to go on these army camps and, and do all these sort of things. What's just, what is the army actually like and what, I suppose, were you doing in the army? Because I think you were a command as a welfare officer at first. Is that, is that right? Yeah, well, so at the moment I'm just kind of in that welfare space. But um, the thing with the army, it's a bloody large organisation. Um, so, you know, you need to think that I'm loving that show too, that SAS show. It's a, it's a ripper. Um, and I've actually got a couple mates I went through training with who are, who are in commandos and... Uh, that is the elite of the elite when it comes to that physical training, that physical combat, and that physical soldier. Um, but you know that's a very small percentage of the army, really. That's a very small percentage, and the army's got so many different parts to it. Whether it's logistics, whether it's you know transport, whether it's you know aviation, whether it's um, you know like we just touched on welfare. It's a, a large organisation. So um, for me, that four years of training. I did the exact same training as all my infantry mates, um, all my mates now who have, who have gone on to, to bigger things and commandos and special forces. We all do that centralised training basically in those four years. And then when you sort of graduate, you get to pick sort of, you know, where you want to go. And for me, initially, it was sort of down that logistics pathway, so sort of the, the business orientated mind. Um, and I studied business. Uh, but for a lot of people, it's infantry, it's artillery, it's you know, it's tanks. It's there's just so many different sort of pathways post um, post graduation. So uh, now it is interesting, and I, I like the concept that the army is so open and broad to to so many different options. Yeah, I think it's an incredible career path. I've actually had a few mates that do the same thing, and it's it's you know, you can learn so many different facets, and like you said, go down so many different paths. I suppose though, that's where a big chapter of your life. Um, really started um obviously joining the army young man straight out of school um but then i suppose that's where some things started happening and and that's when i know like you said another another chapter started of your life can you talk us through what sort of happened from that 2013 onwards um and where where we're at today yeah sure mate so look i um graduated adfa went over to rmc duntroon and that's kind of the last 12 months um of pretty arduous training you know a lot of people don't get through it and and you're you're on the home stretch and 
I had six months left of, of that training at Duntroon and it was um, 18th of June 2013, so I was, I was 21 at that stage. Um, I was pretty fit and healthy, you know, nothing really going on. I was, you know, knocking out PT sessions, um, you know, going to the pub on the weekends just like a normal 21-year-old bloke really and it was, um, you know, like I said, 18th of June, my dad's birthday, that's how I know that date pretty well and um, just uh, called my old man up to wish him happy birthday and and on a completely unrelated side note, just said, hey, look, Dad, I've got this bloody little, you know, lump on my testicle. Um, you know, it's been there for probably too long. Um, you know, what do you reckon? And it's the first time I'd really told someone because, I don't know, I was a bit embarrassed about the whole thing. And he said, mate, uh, why, why don't you go off to a doctor? It seems pretty pretty obvious. But at that stage, I probably put it off for more than six months, um, which, yeah, which seems weird. But, you know, it, it didn't hurt. I hardly noticed it. Um, and if you picture people listing a little frozen pea in the freezer, it's literally like a little frozen pea that's just sitting on one of your testicles. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's what's happened. And then I went off to the doctor from there. So let's really break this down because I suppose if young males are listening here and I have obviously was a young male at some stage, I still am maybe. <laughs> still am, um, mate. <laughs> I, I think going through times, there's always times where, you know, men are always very self-aware of their body. We're always checking out things and you know, exploring and making sure that everything's intact. Um, when you say you, you had a, a lump on your testicle, was it something that straight away struck a chord with you? Like, were you straight away, did you panic? Or was there something where you thought, oh, no, that's maybe just a, a pimple or it could be something like this? Because even I've, you know, I think we've all had times where I, I remember going back a couple of years, I had the same thing. I was in the shower looking looking around and I was like, geez, what's what's this? And I'm a little bit different to you. I'm more I'm a bit of a paranoid sort of person. So I was sort of straight away going, no, shit, I've got to get this checked out. I've got to get this checked out. What were your initial thoughts, I suppose, when you first saw it? Did you think it could be something as serious as it was or was it just something that you were you were going to put up with? Yeah, not really, mate. It's, it's funny. Since then, I'm now probably like you and, and what, you know, a lot of people probably should be more of a hypochondriac in a way because that's where they're going to find um, find these things early. But at the time, I definitely put it off. Um, but I did do the old Google, you know, lump on testicle and, you know, things come up like, you know, testicular cancer or testicular torsion, all these random bits and pieces. But even then, you don't just, I don't know, I didn't really jump to conclusions. I just thought that, I guess I'd find the thing on Google that was the, the least severe and that would be like a, you know, a little cyst that will go away on its own. So I thought, oh, that's probably what I've got. I've got the little cyst that will go away on its own. I was kind of almost just trying to talk myself into that because I didn't want to believe that, God forbid, I had cancer. So um, for me, that was probably, probably that and that's why I just put it off. Um, and then because it didn't hurt and because it didn't really impact my life, I think I thought, oh, it, it, how serious could it be? Like, um, it's not really, it's not growing. It's not doing much. Um, but uh, yeah, soon learn the hard way, mate, that uh, you shouldn't always trust what Google says. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a big, big fan of not Googling things because I think <laughs> as soon as you do, you just feel like you, it's worst case straight away. Um, so from that, you call your dad. Um, he says, go get this checked out. How quickly do you then go book in and, and see a physician? So look, and this is, this is what makes me almost more frustrated with, <laughs> with my, uh, I guess, ignorance in, in getting checked because... I was in the army at that stage. I literally had access to a GP that was probably, I kid you not, 50 metres from my room. You know, like it's it's not like I had to book in and, you know, go on. I literally could walk 50 metres from my room to the GP, sit on the, they call sick parade, and then get it looked at. The whole thing from leaving my room to sit, him, you know, um, taking my pants down and having a feel was probably literally like five, 10 minutes. 
and that's what makes it even more frustrating that I put it off. But once he sort of had a little feel around um, of the old boys, he kind of said, look, mate, it's uh, probably just a bit of a cyst. Um, but look, we will send you off for an ultrasound just, just in case. Better safe than sorry. And then uh, went straight off to an ultrasound, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, they did the little thing with the, the ultrasound and, um, and then they said, look, we'll give you a call if, if anything's up and went back to my room and, and happy days. Um, but, it, you know, got a call pretty quickly, unfortunately, that uh, I then had to see my doctor back in his rooms and he had to uh, give me the unfortunate news. Yeah, fuck, mate. I, I can't imagine copying that call um, and what would be going through your head, especially probably away from your family uh, in the army at that stage. How did that feel? What, what went through your head at that first stage? And they told you had testicular cancer. Yeah, look, it was difficult. You know, I've just get the call and you kind of know something's up when he said, yeah, mate, I need to see you and go through those results from the ultrasound. You think, well, clearly they're not going to go through and tell you you've got a cyst. So I, uh, I went back and he, um, he just said, look, mate, unfortunately that, that little, um, you know, pea-sized lump that you had, it's, um, you've got testicular cancer. And, you know, it was difficult. I was only 21. I was living in Canberra, had no partner at the time, no family support at the time, um, and none of my mates knew, and I had six months left after four years of training, and you've just been smashed with that. And uh, I suppose I knew nothing about cancer either. Either I've got no no cancer in my family, um, so I was pretty naive to the whole thing. And he basically said, "Yeah, we have to go in to to have the affected testicle removed." And he said, "Look, you know, until we have a further scan, hopefully you've caught it early. Uh, but first things first, let's let's get your testicle removed and go from there." So that was, what was the turnaround with that? How quickly were you going, bang, this is testicular cancer to under the knife getting it taken out? Mate, I think it would have been a few days, I reckon. They're pretty quick because testicular cancer, which you probably know, mate, you know, you've done a bit with Movember and stuff. It's, um, it is, some of it can be quite aggressive. Um, you know, it can be highly curable, but it can, in, in my case, spread pretty quickly. So they're pretty quick in just getting it, getting it, uh, getting it out um, in the first instance. And anyone who gets diagnosed with testicular cancer everyone will have that testicle removed um the whole testicle you can't just get like a you know biopsy or get the cyst removed you have to get the whole testicle removed and then they put it under under the microscope and then they 100 percent confirm you know either if yep it's definitely testicular cancer but then also what type of testicular cancer so yeah pretty much a few days mate i was in the hospital um had the old nut removed decided to get a little fake one thrown in there too for because i was just a young fella at the time but um you know and then, then went from there really and you know it was, it was actually pretty that's a pretty seamless process. Look, I suppose for you now, looking back, um, it's just a part of your journey. But for someone like me to listen to this and uh, your calmness around this, it's it's incredible. Because I I know in my situation, I would be absolutely you know cacking my dax. I'd be I'd be you know pretty stressed um, about what's going to happen. Like, who did you call? Like, who was the first person you spoke to? What was the support network like at that stage? Going going through it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. I suppose the reasoning for that is, and as I guess you and the listeners are probably about to find out, is I've had a lot more shit going on in my life since that. So I think uh, I look back at that point, and, and for me, because I've had such so much more stuff going on, it's um, it seems a like a while ago, but b uh, in the scheme of things, not as say big as some of the stuff I have had, which um, we'll talk about soon. But no, look, you're right though. At the time, I, I definitely wasn't as calm as I am now. That's for sure. And I even remember when I first told my boss. Um, and he was the first person I told on the army and went into his office and he kind of teared up and got some tears in his eyes and I said, yeah, look, sir, um, I've got I've got testicular cancer and, and I saw him sort of tear up, you know, he's 
probably had a couple young kids um, and then I'm sort of tearing up too and and it was a little bit emotional that's for sure um, and then you know you start to tell a few of your mates and stuff and, and most people hear that you've got cancer they kind of immediately think you know fuck me you know are you going to be you know graduate are you going to even be here like it's a lot of people um, assume the worst and expect the worst um, so yeah look it was difficult but I think you know talking about it now um, I have become more comfortable in talking about it but also for people listening who might ever go through something like that it's important to know that you know you, you can get through those things as as daunting as it might might appear at the the first instance yeah for sure for sure so you get the testicle taken out um, I suppose that's when uh, the churn, the the story probably gets a little bit more serious because that's when you find out that the cancer had spread, um, and that was into into your stomach. Yeah, and that, that's when it when it, that's when it did start to get more serious because, and this is the importance of if people are listening and you, you know, you're not checking your nuts regularly and you you do have God forbid a lump sitting there, the difference in getting it detected early getting it treated early can literally be the simple case, say simple case, um, with no disrespect to those who have had it, but the testicle removed, and typically that's it. You kind of crack on, you know, month recovery, and you're back into your normal life. Um, but I touched on before how I probably put that lump off for over six months, and unfortunately mine did spread. And then when I had that follow-up scan, it did have, um, unfortunately, all my lymph nodes, and it started spreading up towards sort of my chest and, and lung area. Um, was uh, Yeah, it was, it was basically... Riddled with cancer, so they said, look, mate, um, we now have to commence some pretty intensive chemotherapy um, and uh, and look at next treatment options. And that's when you realise when you start being that young 21-year-old naive bloke, you think, shit, the cancer's spread. It's a bit more serious now. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the next journey, um, and that's something that they managed to sort of put off for a few months at no detriment to my health because shit, the cancer had already spread. I was going to have the chemo anyway, but it meant I could still graduate RMC, graduate as a young lieutenant with all my mates after four years. Uh, and then as soon as I did that, basically head back to my hometown in Adelaide and crack on with the, uh, with the treatment. Yeah, far out. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Mate, why do you think as males, and I suppose it takes back to the story that, you know, you put this off for, for six months and, and, whether that was of just not really noticing something or um, the the embarrassment factor, why do you think as as males we do put these things off for so long when we when we can probably help ourselves earlier than what we do? But I think it's just because we can quite often you know the whole she'll be right attitude. I think we're from a young age we're often taught that um, the whole like you know we're we're those men we're those males who don't really sort of you know talk about our feelings or our health or you know rashes or lumps and bumps you kind of just crack on like that's kind of what we've been ingrained at a young age is that she'll be right attitude let's just get on with it you know I don't want to bother other people you know and that's I think that can be the issue with a lot of people is that they go through their lives um you know I speak to people who have you know they haven't been to a doctor for years or people who have put off you know blood in their stools for months and months and months and these these men who just kind of they're almost, I don't know, afraid to, to get help and, and God forbid something is serious and they kind of just crack on and almost just forget it's there and just push it to the side. And I think that's what, you know, we're trying to change and foundations like Movember are trying to change and these conversations right now are trying to change. It's that it's uh, nothing wrong with going off to a doctor and getting your balls checked um, for them to say, yep, mate, guess what? It's a cyst. It's not testicular cancer. Well, 
fuck me, that's fantastic. I would have, I would have loved to, to hear that news. Um, so that's probably it, to be honest, mate. I think it's just that, that she'll be right attitude, which we've got to change around. And I think it's, it is getting there. Um, and these conversations are hopefully, you know, going to contribute to that. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, I, I touched on it earlier about, and by no means am I trying to uh, say anything that you've been through whatsoever, but I do remember there was a time where, you know, I was sort of looking at my own uh, testicles, um, which is, which is, it's, it's still saying it itself. It's still funny to say that, you know, like we still good man, though. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> good man. And um, they were pretty small, but I said, look, I'm going to go and get these checked out. And it wasn't because they were small, it was just because I was, I, I was noticing something on there. And I, I still even remember, you know, I'm, I'm not a shy guy. And I was at a footy club at this stage, so a lot like yourself. I had, I'd walk in the front door of a footy club and have a doctor there every day. And that's the yeah. one thing that I really miss now, not being in a club, is having someone that I can go to. And there would have been, you know, I noticed it on a, on a certain day and I still reckon it took me three times to walk past his office and make sure no one was sort of around or someone was there to say like, hey, mate, you know, I've got this. I just wanted to, can you check it out? Like, I just want to see what you think. And basically, you know, he just, you know, same thing, just said, mate, just drop your ducks, have a look at this. Um, he said, yes, they are small testicles, but in saying that, <laughs> um, mate, no, you know, there's nothing to worry about here. This, this is okay. And I thought, well, far out, you know, like that took me four days to do, but now just getting that done and having that answer of saying, look, there's nothing there was so worth, you know, just the, the worrying in your head. So I think like you said, that early detection and if there is something wrong in your body, it might not be testicles, it might be, you know, a skin or um, something else completely different, something that's not even as serious. You've just got to really just go and get it done straight away because I think you're right. I think we we put things off because we're scared to get bad news, whereas if we just go do it straight away, you're going to get the bad news earlier or you're going to get really good news. Worst case, you just get some awesome news and they say, thanks. Mate, spot on. And you saying that, it's it's, it's a good message for people listening. It's it's it doesn't matter if you, you do get that good news and for you did, but it's like almost like, oh, well, at least I've done it. Um, and, and that's what I try and do. And even, you know, if I've had a few too many bloody margaritas or something, I'll get my uh, my little fake testicle out every now and then with the <laughs> with, with the lads around, which, um, which you know, my partner doesn't always like. But the point is I do it. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a few laughs and, we, and it is because um, people are fascinated by this fake testicle that I get out. But it's also, it does generate conversations and people go like, oh, so is that, you know, how do you do that? Or so when I was feeling them the other day, I had this, was this normal? All of a sudden before you know it, you're talking about, Yep. about testicles and and that has my fact nut has prompted guys to go off to a doctor and, and check themselves which to me that's that's good <laughs> that's incredible now you, you know, we're only a tiny bit into your story but mate, you're doing incredible work with that and i hope today guys out there again we will be touching on this message a lot but if there is something wrong go get checked um asap sam rowe who's a, who's a good friend of mine i'm not sure if you know sam but he played um at carlton and he had testicular cancer early in his career um and he does the same thing he plays a game called real or fake Basically, you just have to try and pick which one's which. Um, well, I haven't mate, heard that. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to adopt that. Thanks yeah, you can, you can try that one. Um, so, mate, back into the story, I suppose, the cancer spread. Um, unfortunately, it's come up through the, the lymph node, and I'm surprised I even know what that word is. It sounds pretty crazy. Um, what what actually is that? What So, it's spread up through your, your stomach. What does that mean? You go through chemo. Yeah, so... Yeah, so the human body's got lymph nodes everywhere. You know, you've got lymph nodes under your arms, lymph nodes in your neck, and you've got abdominal lymph nodes as well, and a fair few of them. And um, typically where testicular cancer first spreads to, it, it, it spreads up. So you might uh, be familiar with it, with the cyclist um, Lance Armstrong. Um, 
before he was known as a drug cheat, he uh, also had testicular cancer, and his cancer spread up, up, up to the point that it was in his brain, and he had brain tumors, and he had less than 10% chance to live because he just put off every symptom that he could. Um, and so for me, it was starting to spread upwards, and so that's when I had to have the chemo. Um, and as mentioned, moved back to Adelaide. I, I graduated, but it was kind of a bittersweet feeling, really, because you know, on one hand, I've just graduated after four years of arduous training. You're proud. Your family's moved over. Um, you know, you're celebrating. My mum put my little buddy, you know, pips on my shoulder. Um, but then there's pretty much as little as six days, six days after graduating and the whole ceremony and everything, I, um, you know, I was in the hospital and my brother shaved my head, um, prepping that it was going to fall out anyway. Um, and then I cracked on with the chemo and, and that went on for about the next four months, basically at the start of, or the end of 2013, leading right up to, um, to, to early 2014, which just hospital recovery hospital recovery hospital recovery and and while the chemo just made me pretty crook um and that's what it does to try and get rid of that cancer i suppose chemo is something that we've all heard of um what's that like i suppose for a young man in terms of physically the pain but then i suppose like sitting in hospital as well mentally what sort of toll can that take does that take on you yeah, for sure, mate. Chemo is a tough one, you know. Before I went through this, all I thought chemo was, or even cancer was, was, you know, the old person in the movies that you see who's bald-headed, you know, wearing the beanie, um, you know, with advanced cancer. And that's kind of all I thought about it too. And But really, you know, there's children every day going through chemo. There are teenagers going through chemo, young adults going through chemo. Um, and then all chemo is different. You know, they call it the chemo, chemo cocktail. So certain cancers have different chemo drugs. You know, not all chemo makes your hair fall out. Not all chemo makes you sick. Um, you know, some chemo people can take in tablet form and, you know, still go for a run. Um, they're still having chemo. Um, some chemo might take 12 months prolonged with, you know, small doses. Some might be intense doses for four months, which is what I have and which is what typically people with testicular cancer have. So it's just different varying forms of chemo. And until you, you know, I guess speak to an oncologist who specializes in this stuff, it's, a, it's almost a, you know, a detailed conversation for another day. But basically the one I had did make my hair fall out it did make me physically sick um it did make me really unwell um you know i stayed in hospital for a full week whilst i had the treatment then two weeks of recovering literally on the couch um it, it knocks you around and they, they say it does that for a reason for testicular cancer because typically they're young young males who have it so typically they're fitter and um can deal with it more so they they try and smash you with pretty intensive chemo drugs and it does knock you out but then ideally it, it gets rid of the cancer hence why it's it is one of the better <laughs> cancers to get um in that regard so yeah i was pretty crook mate and do i explain it to people listening who especially after a big grand final weekend too um you know the old hangovers and people feeling you know pretty pretty dusty on the couch it's kind of like a really intense hangover for for a prolonged time where you just don't really feel like eating and drinking you just feel crook and you're you know, nauseous and that type of stuff. So that's kind of, in, in a way, how to explain what my side effects and what my chemo experience was like. How long did this chemo, like, go for? And then how long did it take to, to recover from? So obviously these are might be stupid questions here, but obviously no. I, don't, I don't know too much about chemotherapy and, and recovery from this because obviously through that time it it's, takes time to kill off, you know, the cancer in the lymph nodes and throughout your body. But how long did it take to get rid of that and go into what they call, I think, is remission? Yeah, yeah. So typically, the chemo was four months, um, four months all up of chemo, um, yep. and 
then after that you have a follow-up scan to see if the chemo has done its job unfortunately for me um, very rare most cases it does for testicular cancer for me it didn't um, there was still some remaining little cancer in my lymph nodes and I had to have you know a really major operation after that called retropreneural lymph node dissection bit of a bloody tongue twister but it's um basically the surgery to, to open me right up um, and remove all those lymph nodes we talked about um, so that unfortunately prolonged my recovery now uh, that was an eight hour operation they removed all 48 lymph nodes that I had in my body um, you know I was in ICU for a week hospital for a month and then my recovery abdominal recovery and building up strength again was difficult as well as the recovery from the chemo which you know they call it chemo brain where you get kind of like foggy brain for for you know year two years some people have it years after chemo um so i suppose i have to balance the whole recovering from chemo recovering from the major surgery trying to get fit enough to be back into you know my army career and hopefully get deployed one day um and that was kind of my focus and it probably took all up was two years so when i um 2014 finished the chemo the surgery probably right up until like 14 15 sort of getting into 16 when i started to like feel i was still working on the sides here and there but i'm talking physically fit mentally fit upgraded ready to crack on ready to go overseas on a deployment you know happy days that was kind of the the timeline if that makes sense mate how do you like how do you get through that um obviously there's you know you want your body to work but i know from your story i know that like you're an incredibly incredibly strong-minded person um and you're a very positive person how much does that have into play do you think in terms of recovery yeah look it, it definitely helps um it definitely helps mind like i'm a big one for for mind and mental health being very you know interconnected with with physical health um i think because i was young in my early 20s i was always optimistic in the fact that i'd beat it and i'd get through it that didn't negate the fact that I still struggled um, and had down days. But that was one thing that I just, I kind of in my head just almost not getting through it wasn't an option. So I kind of just, just cracked on. Um, and that was how I coped with it. I almost just saw myself with my hair growing back two years time, fit back at the gym. You know, I just kind of, I saw that and thought, well, I'm going to get there. It's just, I'm going to navigate my way through it and have to do what I've got to do. Um, Look, I wish I had that mindset. And when I say I wish I had that mindset now through, you know, my next journey, um, look, I probably lost a bit of that because it was probably, A, the severity of it was probably more so than what it had been. And also I was, I was a bit older and, you know, you, you, you think about things like family and kids and those conversations more than I did when I was just a young 21, 22-year-old where you think you're bulletproof and you just go, let's crack on with this stuff. Um, but look, yeah, to answer your question, mindset is massive. Mindset is so important. And I think, you know, during those chemo days and recovery and surgery days, you often neglect a bit of your mental health because you're so focused on your, your physical health. And that's something we'll, we'll touch on soon that unfortunately what was a detriment to my mental health that I'd, I eventually had to navigate my way through. So you've had the surgery to remove uh, the, the lymph nodes in your stomach. Things are, are looking good. You're into remission. And I think you're healthy for two months, if I'm correct. Yeah, so pretty much, I, I said about and that was a five year. year that was a five year journey. Sorry, was that was that how basically how long that was from the first te- uh, testicular cancer to the end? Yeah, basically, and you mentioned the word remission before, and and typically when you're in complete remission, it's um, 
they usually say five years. So if you have a clear, clear scans and blood work or whatever after five years, you're kind of in that complete remission. So that's kind of what a lot of people strive towards being, you know, cancer survivors and the like. Um, so once I got through those first two years and I was I was fit, I got upgraded, um, you know, I I got promoted to captain at the end of 2017, which I didn't just get gifted that. You know, I worked at that. I, I had to, to, to prove myself, which I did. I got posted to Brisbane at the end of 2017 with my partner and our two dogs. And it was... Um, you know, things were things were looking up. Things were finally kind of. You felt like things were just turning in the right direction. You know, I no longer had to see a doctor every buddy few months and do this. It was literally like a six month scan, twelve month scan. All of a sudden, mate, you don't even need to have a scan anymore. Um, and then so yeah, it got to after being promoted to captain, moving to Brisbane. It was um, June two thousand eighteen, so a couple of years ago, when I got my final scan, where the doc said, mate, yep. Happy days, no signs of cancer, you're cancer-free, mm. um, you know, congratulations. And I remember, you know, literally having a bottle of Verve and cheers with my partner and it was kind of like a, you know, proud moment. We were in Brisbane, had the little house there, had the dogs and it was a great moment. Um, but yeah, like you touched on, unfortunately, that, that feeling of, I don't know, freedom, happiness, whatever you want to call it, uh, was pretty short-lived. Um, yeah, and I suppose, yeah, pretty much had that for maybe two months um, after that sort of five-year journey. And then after that two months, I sort of found myself uh, back into the doctor's rooms. And it's, yeah, I, I can't imagine what is going through your mind at that stage after you've just been through a five-year journey, as you said. Things are looking on the up. Um, and then you get, you know, some more news i suppose let's let's go to the part where i suppose you first identified something wasn't right at this stage after then yeah and look and this is this is a message for for everyone listening and for me i suppose that young 21 naive year old hugo that we just spoke about who had that little pea-sized lump on his right testicle that he put off um and it meant the cancer spread and i suppose i at least I was proactive with my health and like you touched on before deal where you said you know for you anyway when something's wrong you typically go off to a doctor which is fantastic it's great to hear that so I suppose for me I was um I was like that and I always will be for the rest of my life so I suppose my bowels started playing up um and I've always had a bit of a you know dodgy IBS you know sensitive gut which is pretty common a lot of Australians have it but for me it was worse than normal you know, and I just, you know, I was having more regular diarrhea and I was having abdominal pains and I thought, something's not right here. It would probably gone on for a couple of weeks and I thought, nah, something's not right. So I um, called my doctor, booked into a booked into a specialist and had what's called a colonoscopy. Um, you might be familiar with a colonoscopy. It's pretty common for those listening. It's literally a, a day procedure, camera up your bum, have a look around, finish that, happy days, have my little turkey sandwich and um you know things were things were pretty cruisy like i didn't think anything of it i thought maybe they would say mate you've got some inflammation here's some meds you know something like that um and then terry was my gastroenterologist and terry basically said um he said yeah hugo there were a couple of little nasty little looky polyps in there but he said look mate they're probably absolutely nothing um i'll see you in two weeks time and i thought yeah no worries happy days went to work the next day um, was sitting in my cams, my army uniform, typing away at the office, um, and I got a call the next day from from Terry's receptionist saying, um, 
hey, Hugo, those results came back and Terry needs to see you. And I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, no worries. I'm, I'm booked in to see him in two weeks. I had the little date on my diary. And then she said, no, he wants to, he wants to see you this afternoon. And then as soon as, you, as soon as I heard that, you just get this sinking feeling in your stomach. I'm just like, fuck. Like, you know, we all know specialists are hard people to, you know, see at the best of times. And I knew it wasn't good, but even then I was still kind of like, no, no, don't be silly. Don't, don't start thinking like that. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. And I called my partner, Amber, and she's a nurse. And fortunately, she had literally just finished her nursing shift and she was in her nursing outfit. And we went to the doctors together um, and... I still had that sinking feeling in your stomach, you know, that that feeling we've all had before. And I was sitting in the, the waiting room and you're kind of flicking through magazines, thinking, still not thinking anything of it, really, um, until Terry walked out and he said, yeah, guys, I need you to come in. Um, and, and then I'm like, oh, fuck, he doesn't look too good. And we kind of just sit down and he turns his monitor screen around and he just goes, mate, look, I'm, I'm really sorry to say this, um, but, you, you know, you've got bowel cancer. And, you know, as soon as you hear those words come out, you're just like, fuck me. Um, you know, that was, like I said, two months, pretty much two months after I'd just been cleared of testicular cancer. And, you know, this is a completely unrelated cancer. You know, it wasn't anything to do with testicular cancer. I beat testicular cancer. I've completely got rid of that. And then all of a sudden, at the pivotal stage in, in my life, just as I was feeling great, you know, I, I get dealt those cards and he just said... Um, Look, mate, I'm sorry to sorry to say it. And he said, Look, I've already booked you in for a surgeon in a few days' time. We 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 gotta whack quick. We gotta get, you know, gotta get your bow removed and we gotta get we gotta beat this thing, mate, he said, because this is a killer. Um and you know, I suppose unlike testicular cancer, which can be typically um, you know, highly curable, look, bowel cancer is Australia's second biggest cancer killer. Um and so I'm kind of sitting in there thinking, Fuck me, like that's when I did get worried because I'm like, Well, hang on, like gee, I'm, I'm not, like, what's going to happen from here? Um, so it was a difficult time, definitely difficult getting told that, and, and unfortunately it was a, a bit of a journey from there. Fuck, mate. I, I can't... I, I literally just cannot imagine what would be going through your head. Like you said, you've just beat testicular cancer. You're thinking, you know, things are going well, everything's tracking, and you get told that. There, there must be a moment there where you just go, fuck this, why me? Like, how has this happened to me again? Like, did you did you vent? Like, I suppose you have to in that stage. Like, you- yeah, it's interesting. At, at, at that at the time, I was just like, I almost just got in this like this state of like, um, yeah, let's do it, no worries, like blah blah. And I was asking question, question, question. My partner just you know had her hand on my knee and was just kind of being there with me. Um, and I was actually okay. But then as soon as I left the doctor's rooms, that was like, I think it was almost just like the reality hit. Yeah, it hit you. And yeah. I yeah, it just hit me. And I walked out remember vividly I was probably like two meters in front of my partner walking to the car and I just burst into tears like I was just like nah like I was just like yeah like you said I almost was like nah I, I don't know if I've mentally physically I, I've, I've had enough I don't know if I can do this and um you know walked to the car and you know Am said are you okay to drive I said yeah look I'll be okay and and I said look I'm gonna have to tell my family and mm. look I hadn't even told them I had a colonoscopy at that stage I didn't even tell him that my bowels were playing up at that stage because to me it was just, it was a nothing issue after what I'd been through. Um, and then here I am calling my my twin brother, my dad, my brother, and my older sister. And I'd, yeah, I often say, um, you know, I often say that to this day after what I've been through, it's probably one of my hardest things to to have to do. And, 
you know, and I'm not a father myself, I don't know what it's like having kids, but I know what I'd gone through my first journey, how much like pain and suffering it causes family, you know, seeing you bald headed, having chemo and being by your side and then it just broke them and I knew knew it would, but I had to tell them and I remember just calling my old man up and just saying, yeah, look dad, I've, um, you know, I've just been told I got bowel cancer and you, you hear him kind of like fighting back these tears and he's that's all right buddy you know we'll get through it um blah blah and you know i'm then fighting back the tears and it's just a shit situation to be in because you know that you don't know what's going to happen and you know your family's feeling that hurt with you and you don't want them to be hurting and it's um yeah it was difficult it was difficult i'd be be lying if i said it wasn't even you know every time i say that same thing i'll relive it you know it still feels raw i still kind of get tingles and um, it doesn't matter how long it goes, I I'll probably always will because it's just such an emotional, poignant time in my, my life. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, basically from there, I, you know, I had to, had to endure on, on a, on a pretty difficult path over the last couple of years and, um, you know, still have a few, few hurdles to overcome, but, um, at the time, yeah, it was, it was bloody difficult, mate. Oh, mate, I honestly, I just cannot, I cannot imagine going going through that and i suppose the one part that really hits home for me then is the fact that and i suppose look simplifying um i'm not trying to simplify the story whatsoever but i think in life you know when you've got problems and i think this is prevalent in males a lot like you think all right now if it's just me i can cop this and get through it but it's when like you said the part about telling you know your loved ones because that's the hardest part because it's you know you like you said you're without intentionally doing it it's it's breaking their hearts as well and you can't do anything about it mate spot on uh, yeah 100% agree with that and that's that's often you know why I look back and why I was initially very closed in um you know my mental health and that you know might come come as a result of this uh, next conversation sort mm. of thing but um exactly that reason it's like I've already caused so much pain and you know I don't want to keep causing pain. So you kind of, I felt like I had to be that guy to, to put that brave smile on to kind of, you know, if my mum would call me and she'd be like, Hey, you know, how are you coping with this? You know, you're about to go and have this major surgery, you know, how are you so calm? And I wasn't really, but I kind of pretend I was, if that makes sense. Cause I figure if I was calm, if I was composed and whatever, then my family would be too. But yeah. I kind of, as a result of that, I kept things so closed in. And I didn't really have anyone to truly talk to and how I was feeling because I didn't want to. And um, yeah, as I found out, that's definitely not the way to, to go through and deal with those things. But I look back on it and I can get why I did do it. 100%. Let's, let's talk about that now, mate. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted in my life. I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Matty Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Aaron Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Aaron down, enter now at thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com.au. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. 
Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad break stream play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play. Exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Jeez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy. Available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble. Because I think that's that's nearly one of the most important points. In it. You know, whether it be as serious as, as battling bowel cancer or whether that be even you know just going through something in general how did you find the balance of of you know distinguishing between having the physical illness or the problem that was going on and then that turning into you know mental problems as well yeah and i think it's you know it's one of those things that i'm very passionate with with all things mental health and i know you are too mate because it's it's something that we often put so much emphasis into the, to the physical health component, and that's no no more so prevalent if you've got something like cancer. You know, all you're worrying about is the surgery for cancer. You know, I got my bowel removed and the whole bowel removed, and I was on radiation treatment and immunotherapy treatment and steroids, and just did everything I could. It was just basically I lived in a bloody hospital or doctor's rooms for two years, and it was it was full on. But during that time, I feel like you're so in in I guess focused on that recovery that your mental health just slips to the side but it's important for, for people listening that it, you don't need to go through that to to do that we all do it even if you're, you're physically healthy we, we often kind of neglect our mental health and just push it to the side and so these little signs and symptoms were popping up but I just literally kept them hidden um, and you often talk about the prevention is key well prevention for mental health or mental illness is so important and it's so much easier to treat mental illness if you get it early and you prevent it from from becoming say severe depression or anxiety for example than if you just let it get worse and worse and worse till it's a point where it's like fuck this is going to be hard to treat now because this yeah. is really really it's like a, you know advanced cancer type of correlation it, it's hard to treat and for me that was the case i um it just got worse and worse and worse um until it got to the stage where it got really bad and fortunately i had that support and i I managed to kind of get the way through it, but, you know, fuck me, it's still a battle with me. It's still a mm. battle for me now. And I often look back at thinking, you know, if I did something about it earlier, if I, you know, saw a psychologist, if I talked about it earlier, um, it probably would have been a lot easier to manage. What What were some of those practices, I suppose, that got you out of the mental challenge? Like, did, you, did they have a psychologist, you know, at the hospital or was it through the army or was it just something that you sort of employed was it like a hobby outside of something that you could do or keeping your mind ticking over or not you know not living not being an illness but being you know hugo um you know what what was it that kept you ticking over i suppose mate the, the first the first one to be honest was my gp and it was an interesting point he um and like my family and amber and my partner they they probably knew i was i was struggling they could just tell and like my dad just knew and he would try to keep me He'd read the latest Crows article on the weekend in the paper or something and try and, you know, give me a bit of a smile in the hospital, but I'd just be sitting there just just hating life. And um, it all be it, I was very crook. You know, I was in hospital for 
you know, four or five weeks and I lost 20 kilos and I couldn't really oh, eat or drink for, for three weeks. Um, and I was very sick, so that wouldn't have helped. Um, but it was actually my GP who called up and he would check on me in the hospital and we'd just have kind of like phone consultations. And I remember him kind of saying like, you know, how's it, how's it all going physically? You know, how's the treatment? How's the, you know, how, how are you sleeping? What are they giving you at night to numb the pain? You just, those, those chats, it was all to mm. do with that. And then I'm, I was like, yeah, look, I'm getting there. I'm doing what I can, blah, blah. And, but then I said, but to be honest with you, I'm, um, I'm really struggling mentally. I said, like, I'm just, I'm not sure. I, I'm like, I, I don't even know if I want to get out of this hospital. Like, I, I can't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I don't even know if I want to get better. Like, I'm just, I'm in such a confused state. I'm just, I'm not doing well at all. Um, and then that, you know, telling my GP was kind of that initial step where it's like a lot of people probably don't even realize to, listening to this podcast is that a GP you can go to absolutely as a first point of call for, a, for anything mental health related. Um, they're fantastic resources, GPs, and I'm a massive fan of building up a good relationship with the GP. Um, and he said, mate, you know, thanks for letting me know. That's completely understandable. Let's get you onto a psychologist. I've got a great person who you, who, who, who you could talk to. And, and it kind of just started to pick up from there. And I, albeit it took a couple psychologists till I found one that was right for me. And that's something else for people to, to realize listening is that you don't always see the first GP or first psychologist. They're not going to be like the, the gold-plated answer because they're all human too. So yeah, eventually found one that was right for me and we talked about it and we went through it. Why was I feeling like this? Well, fuck me, Hugh, it's pretty understandable why you've been through a lot. And and they kind of just, yeah, started to open up. And I'm like, it's it it sounds cliche, but it was it was so true. Almost like this fucking weight lifted off your shoulders that yeah. you could just open up and feel like no one's judging you and then work your way through it. And then that kind of coincided with feeling a bit better physically and things are looking up there. And then I started to just improve and that little light at the end of the tunnel that slowly got bigger and all of a sudden I'm like here we go we're starting to see some progress and you feel the smile comes back a bit more and and then it's just a, it's a journey you know it's, it's never going to be a quick quick fix um and it's just that regular journey you know building those practices in what I can do at home what I can do in hospital when I'm struggling the whole mindfulness side of things and then it's um you know to this day I still see my psychologist every every couple of weeks and she checks in on me and I have some days where I'm not doing too well and then some days I'm I'm doing a bit better, but it's it's just recognizing that and and realizing that you know I've been at the real depths of of that severe depression, which you know she said absolutely would have been, but now I've kind of got myself through that, and I know that there is hope, you know that there is going to be a way forward, and there is going to be a way through, and that just gives me that slight bit of optimism when I still have have down days. So yeah, that's um that's probably how the the mental side went, mate. If uh, if you know if that all kind of makes sense hopefully it's not too jumbled <laughs> no no mate it's it's you, yeah I, I feel like i can definitely understand and, and appreciate and and definitely see that that is is a factor of it. and i think it, it can honestly be you know as big as the physical illness are going to also be you know factoring in that can be pretty much the same because if, you, if your mind's not right then you're going to struggle to you know deal with the physical side of it as well um i hope this question isn't insensitive because i don't mean it like that at all but is is there a part of having an illness like bowel cancer and testicular cancer that actually simplifies life for you and it makes you realize like what really is important to you and um do you know where i'm going with this is Mm. is there something that you know you don't you're not obviously when there's something so big in your life that's going on that's not right you're not going to be worrying about 
the little shit things in life that we worry about every day and the nuances that really don't matter. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is a good point. I think it's it's the whole building resilience piece and you, you hear that term thrown around, but it is very true. You know, if if you go through life and, you know, you're fortunate you don't have to really ever face significant adversity and you've got a very fortunate life and it's kind of when something does happen, you almost naturally, and fair enough, you don't know how to, how to handle it. Um, it's like, you know, if, you, if you're losing a loved one for the first time or, you know, if you're going through a significant health event the first time, you've got nothing to compare it against. It's kind of like, holy fuck, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And it's, it's kind of then up to you to kind of, you know, really just work through the processes with that. So, yeah, I suppose to answer that question, yeah, absolutely, that it definitely does. You know, even now, you know, I go to the toilet 12 times a day most days. Um, it's still, I face difficulties and struggles with that. I'm on medication every day. Um, and, you know, you tell the average person that I've only got, you know, a bit, bit of my small bowel left that they've kind of looped around and created some sort of internal pouch. And But that's my new normal. Um, and, you know, I tell someone else to that who goes to the toilet twice a day and they're like, holy fuck, you know, how do you deal with that? I could never deal with that. Oh, my God, that's that's so fucked. But I was, I was telling my old man this yesterday, actually. I said, but it's so weird that the fear of the unknown can often be the most difficult part. And I think as soon as you, you learn to, to get used to something and you adapt to it, before you know it, it's just your new normal. Mm. And for me, you know, I'm missing a testicle or my abdominal lymph nodes, my rectum, my large bowel, um, you know, my appendix and all these stuff that back in the year, bloody 10 biology days, your human body's meant to have. Um, but for me, it's just my new normal. If you saw me walk past the street or if I, you know, caught up with a beer with you tomorrow, you'd go, mate, like, doesn't look like there's anything wrong with you. Um, so I suppose that's one thing that kind of always gets me through when you go through those massive things. It's just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm still fortunate. I'm still lucky to be here. And so when I'm having down days or when, you know, the Crows have a bad loss on the weekend, which is basically every week this year, um, you know, yeah, you still get, buddy, get pissed off and you still go, this sucks. Or you, yes, I still get frustrated when I'm in the car and, buddy, you know, someone cuts me off. But ultimately, it's sometimes being grounded and taking that step back and realizing like, fuck me, I'm still here. I'm cancer free right now. I'm not in hospital. You know, I'm, I've got, you know, a lovely partner here to support me, like, it just takes that that's that little moment to just go actually no i'm very grateful with with my situation and what i'm doing in life and and my health and i think it does help when you go through massive things like that to to put things in perspective um and ultimately to realize that life is fucking precious like it's it's this precious thing that often we all take for granted um and for me it's it's kind of realizing that whilst i'm here or the fact i still am here when so many others aren't and so many others have unfortunately passed away through things like bowel cancer. I feel almost like empowered to um, to really grab that and take advantage of it. What would you say? I suppose a part that you touched on in that in that um, talk was you said like levels of adversity, and I know that obviously your level of adversity in your life is twenty nine out of ten. I don't know why I came up with twenty nine, but it's it's, <laughs> it's a lot higher than what the normal adversity level would be. Um, and you know, I feel like when I'm doing this this chat with you, I find it so hard to relate to these things because I haven't faced what you have in terms of you know the life or death um, situations. But what's your message to to people that face adversity? Do you think that these lessons can be learned in any adversity that we have, or is it does it have to be life threatening? Because I feel like through a lot of chats that you've seen, you relate 
these things to everyday life so well that you know it's not you don't appreciate life just because you've had cancer obviously that's a factor to it but there's so many other ways that you can sort of come out of this oh mate and you, you hit the nail on the head and it's an important point is that you don't have to have fucking cancer to to realize that you know oh that's that's a real issue my, my issues or my adversity or the shit that i go through is not important it's, it's irrelevant you know, I'm, I've got, you know, no reason to complain about that because that's all bullshit. You know, at the end of the day, you don't know how someone else is feeling. You don't know how someone else is feeling for what they're going through. So if someone's going through and, you know, we touched about this offline, whether it's, you know, a footy injury or if someone's, you know, recently lost a job and, you know, it's all good and well to say like, mate, you know, it's fine. You don't have cancer. But at that point in time, the person who's just lost that job or who's just got a career ending buddy footy injury they're still feeling like absolute shit. You know, they're still going through a significant adversity. So it's important that people recognize that, first of all, we will all go through adversity in life. Like, there's just no escaping it. Like, we will all go through shit in life. That's life. Life is full of ups and downs, and and that's what I've kind of learned. It's that even now, I could have a day tomorrow where it will just be a shit day. Then I could have another day where it's a good day. So it doesn't matter what that is, what adversity doesn't have to be, cancer or whatever. It's just, you know, learning that you will go through it. And that's not going to be like the, the answer where people go, well, that's great, but fuck, it doesn't help that I'm off. I'm feeling like shit right now. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But it's also to make you realize that, well, you're not alone in this whole thing called life. And although you can't see it then and there, you can't see it then and there. If you fast forward two years, five years, 10 years, that version of yourself will look back at that and say, I told you, mate, I told you we'd get through this. You know, we, we got through it, you know, and that's something that you can't see at the time because we get so caught up in that particular moment. Um, and um, yeah, it's important to, to you know, it, it's, it's fine to grieve and, you know, be emotional and, you know, say, yeah, this does suck. That's all, they're all normal emotions. That's just human emotions. We all get emotions. But then it's also important to realise that that particular moment in your life, that particular moment, it's not going to be the the end of your the life as you know it. And I think that's what um can be so powerful, and that's something I truly try and pride myself on. Is that even even as we talk today, mate? I still have days where I'm like, "Fuck, I'm not doing well today," and I'm just I'm just not what I'm not in a good headspace. But then it's these little things where you think, "Nah, like I know for a fact that whatever this is I'm feeling right now, it will get better," and that's the biggest one. It will get better, um, and that's something that I think everyone can can probably take away in everyday life is that it might be a slow process it might be gradual there might be ups and downs with it but it will gradually get better it will get better um and that's something that for mental illness or, or whatever that it's um it's it's a very powerful thing for people to to take away no i absolutely love it i absolutely love it i think again not comparing this to anything that that you're going through right now but i suppose in time of covid and, and like you said everyone's got things that are happening like i've sort of adapted this new thing that i'm trying to trick my mind with and i think i've tricked it so well that it actually happens now but like there's these times where say you're having like a real shit day or it turns into two days or three days but then i've got this new thing where i keep trying to trigger myself and i say like i'm actually really excited now because like things are so shit that i know something good's coming like i know something really good's coming in the next few days and every time like i go through these times now like in the next week and the next like you know period is like incredible because like i think and again i'm not taking the 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 words out of your mouth here i hope i'm not but i feel like when you have those times of adversity and really shit times 
it's you've nearly got to look at it as a little bit of of a blessing because it makes you appreciate the good ones even more mate it's you know you're saying some things which definitely definitely i 100 percent agree with and it's i even said that the other day to someone is that they're like fuck me you've been through a journey mate like would you, would you take any of that back like fuck like it just even listening to it just you know it, it buddy it sounds full on and, and i said no like i wouldn't and um and i truly mean that because there is no way and this is just my journey we've all got our own separate little journeys or whatever we're doing in life right this is just mine and if i didn't go through my my journey over the last seven years of testicular cancer bowel cancers you know 10 abdominal surgeries, treatment, chemos, this, that, and the other, life or death stuff, emergency surgeries, you know, live with a stoma for eight months, which had its difficulties. And, you know, doing, if I didn't go through all this stuff, seeing psychologists talking that there is no way, there's just no way I'd be where I am today. I wouldn't be finding my passion and my purpose and wanting to, to share these conversations and getting messages from people saying, hey, mate, heard your story. And as a result, I've you know, just got diagnosed with testicular cancer, but they got it early or thanks for helping me through some dark days or these types of things, which just is so rewarding. Mm. There is no way I would have any of that if it wasn't for all of that shit. So you, you said it pretty, um, pretty well, mate. It's that, that adversity that I went through, although it was fucking hard to see it at the time. You know, if, if I could tell my five years ago self to go, mate, trust me, get through this buddy next shit five years you'll get through it the other side and you'll be in a pretty good place. You know, you'd, you'll be happy with your partner. You'll be doing some awesome stuff with charities like Movember. You'll be loving your work. And if I said all that shit, I'd be like, oh, fuck, okay, I'll get I'll get there then. Um, so, yeah, it is something to, con- con- to consider for people is that even if you are going through shit times in your life, there can be good that comes from it. And for me, that's what I'm doing now. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be doing anything better in my life than than using what I've gone through to, to make the best of a bad situation. Uh, you're an inspiration. I know that doesn't sit with you well. Um, it should because it, it should be your, your middle name, even your first name, if you wanted to change it. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> now, the story's not over because there is there is plenty more to cover. And I, I suppose I did jump a, a big sh- uh, chapter there, but I was very excited with where we were going. Um, Love it. What's, what's your updates at the moment, I suppose? Maybe even tracking a little bit back into the – into the bowel cancer like what what i suppose has happened since then and what is to come yeah look mate um look very very kind of to to summarize it it's i initially had part of my bowel removed um and you know just lots lots of very full-on surgeries emergency surgeries and we don't have to go into the detail with it because i'm sure people can picture what it's like when you're in hospital for four or five weeks and you have ups and downs and you're losing weight and all that type of stuff um then I went on sort of six months of immunotherapy treatment and steroids and just other treatment to try and um, try and get rid of this these bloody you know the bowel cancer which was, which was brewing and ultimately it came down to end of last year where they said mate it's not a matter of when sorry it's not a matter of if you get bowel cancer again it's when you get bowel cancer again and they said you will get it again. And it probably will spread because we can't guarantee we'll catch it early. So they said, look, the only way to guarantee that doesn't happen is if we remove the rest of your large bowel and your rectum. And that was kind of the the decision I had. And so you can have literally follow-up tests every three to six months for the rest of your life until you, oh, I caught it. Oh, fuck, it spread though. Or we just fucking smash it now and say, nah, let's just, 
these little signs of display. Let's just get get rid of it. So that's what they did at the end of last year. They just got rid of my entire large bow. So if you're picturing your bloody biology days deal, your bloody yeah, colon, I, which is I, kind I of like I a... I skipped those classes, so you might have to really <laughs> break this one down. It's literally just your bloody um, your colon, which is kind of like a big two-metre sausage, which kind of just like sits in below your small bow. So when you eat, shit processes through your small bow, goes yep. to your large bow, holds in your rectum, and then that's how you, you process stuff. So yep. for me, they said, mate, we've got to get rid of that, that two-metre bloody sausage, that colon. And then we also got to get rid of your rectum, um, which is that kind of that little bloody fist-sized thing sitting down there. Yep. Um, which is what they did, mate. So they they got rid of that, and then I lived with a an ileostomy bag or an external bag, which you've probably seen people with in the past, which is mm-hmm. literally like a, a bag, which my small bag sticks out of your stomach, and when you go to the bathroom, it fills up your bag, and you have to empty your bag and change your bag, and um, yeah, it had its challenges, but that's all right. Um, and then finally, the start of this year, they managed to do this surgery which reversed that bag and they created an internal J-pouch, which basically they stretch down my remaining small bow. They stretch it down, make a J-shape on itself, staple it on itself. So it's literally like a J. And then the bottom of that small bow, they stretch down and, and sort of stitch it to your anus area. And um, that kind of replaces my large bow and rectum. So hence why I go to the toilet. 12 times a day and have to be on medication for slowing things down because I just physically don't have um, much bow to, to regulate all that shit. So um, literally shit. So yeah, literally. <laughs> quite literally. So that's yeah. kind of what they did, which is first of all, fucking remarkable how surgeons I was going to say, how the fuck do, does anyone even know that you can discover how to do that? It's, mate, it's ridiculous how they can just, surgeons work their magic. Um and look, that comes with its own complications and recovery, and you know yeah. that's obviously implied. But basically, I'm sitting here today. That surgery was in April, so we're what now in, in October, November, um, and yeah, I've, I've come a long way. They 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 think that little pouch that they created the internally will, will continue to expand a bit, so which means it can hold more waste. And I hopefully yeah. that ten to twelve times a day might be five to six down the track. Um, but mate, I can still pretty li- I can live a normal life. You know, I can fuck, go for a walk and kick the footy and I even had a bloody bottomless brunch the other day which is probably not recommended by my surgeon but I gave it a crack anyway and even that was that was all right and if yeah. you asked me two years ago if I'd be doing that I would have literally just laughed at you so um anyway it's I'm in a good place um as far as the physical stuff goes mate and then I suppose that the cherry on the top is that very recently had a had a I guess a follow-up scan test whatever you want to call it which um confirmed that yep you're cancer free mate um things are recovering well you know, no longer have your testicular cancer. I don't have a fucking bowel, so I hope that I don't have bowel cancer. Um, and basically, yeah, he said, look, things are recovering well, mate. You're, do- you're doing great. Um, so, yeah, they definitely can't complain, um, put it that way, even though people look at that and I've probably got right to complain. You definitely have right to complain. If yeah. I'm cancer-free sitting here chatting to you, Deal, to me, it's uh, I've come a long way and I'm, I'm in a pretty good place with that. No, mate, it's, it's an absolute honour to, to be sitting down with you. I suppose that starts the next um, chapter of your life, which is many chapters, which is going to make a good book one day. Hope that um, I can make <laughs> one it. One nut half a gut, mate. I've already got the title for it. I really like that. I'm going to steal one. that as the episode. Uh, that is going to be the episode title, if you don't mind. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, mate, one thing I really, really love and admire about you is you have never let your illness or cancer define you as a person. You've always been... Hugo, you, you know, like I suppose there's probably been times where it has, but you've mentally been able to get through that. What 
you're doing now as well in terms of um, your podcasts where you've got, you know, the 25 Stay Alive podcast where you're talking to young people who have shared um, stories like yourself that have been through, um, you know, fair bit of adversity. You've also got the Behind the Uniform podcast, which which is killing it, which is with Movember, um, basically talking about another mental health side of things in terms of um, Behind the Uniform, which is, of course, you know, you've got like AFL players or, you know, nurses, army, like whatever you said. Um, is that basically your goals now in terms of just awareness and and um, public speaking and and those sort of things? Yeah, pretty much, mate. We we talked on before the whole um, you know the whole what I've gone through is the positive from that is, is I've found that that purpose and that passion and I think a lot of people spend their lives finding that you know they they want to work out what they love doing and what they want to do. You know what you're doing some amazing things now yourself mate obviously with your podcast and I'm sure when you started you didn't think that it's going to progress to where it is and it's going to you know potentially be a full-time career for you and these these things can just stem from from unlikely places and for me that's that's where it's kind of come from and I think you know I enjoy it I I really do enjoy it and I'm still full-time in the army um, so I still have to manage a bit of what I do on the side as far as my full-time army job um, being involved in the whole welfare space, which I love, um, and what my future holds. You know, I can't get deployed anymore in the army, which you know I, I learned to accept that pretty early on. Um, and you know, I probably won't be in the army forever, um, but that's fine. I've I've got these other things like you just touched on that I'm so passionate about. Um, you know, working with these groups like Movember. Um, you know, this group called Tomorrow Man, which do amazing things with workshops with schools and stuff like that. You know, there are so many amazing groups out there that just are doing good and I'm very much one for engrossing myself with like-minded people and I think when you you hang out with these people and just the energy and this passion that comes from it you you can't not help but feel good like you just feel mm. fucking fantastic and and that's what I try and do and then these podcasts like you said my my one at the moment behind the uniform is um is a way of of doing exactly that I'm connecting with these people and some of these guests that you get on the show which I'm sure you've had the same experience with with your um with your podcast mate is that you you connect with these guests and you you just you hear their story and and you realize like fuck me these guys that everyone's got a story um and it's so so awesome for people sharing that for the greater good of wanting to help other people um and that's what i love doing i just love connecting with these inspirational people and and just hearing their stories and just trying to you know get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations and just kind of normalizing these things and and hopefully if we can all do that and we can all create that ripple effect then you know the alarming statistics like we hear about you know with suicide and the like can can slowly start to to come back a bit and and that's what I'm pretty passionate about mate so it's um yeah why I'd absolutely come on your podcast today and and talk about it because you're, you're doing some great things and for me to just have a another hour sort of platform to to share that you just never know who it's going to help Oh, 100%, mate. I know you've you've done that today and it's it's been immense. It's been incredible. And I know there's going to be a lot of young men out there today, um, which we will touch on shortly about the detection signs as well, early detection. But um, I know that it's going to pose a lot of questions. I want to touch on um, the Movember stuff, which is obviously upon us soon. We're both ambassadors for that um, as well. What, uh, I suppose, obviously you've had your own journey with, with physical illness, with, with mental illness, but... What, what do you want to get out of this um, this period and, and why is it so special to you? Yeah, look, mate, it's spot on. Movember are an awesome job and, and you know, they're not just, um, you know, their testicular cancer, prostate cancer and sort of suicide prevention are their, their key key goals um, for men's health. 
uh, having had testicular cancer, having had mental health issues, and then having unfortunately lost my best mate, second year army, to um, to suicide. It's it's something that it's very close to my heart, um, and you know I just want to help in any way I can. And I think this particular campaign and this particular year for November is so important because what we've all gone through this year for COVID, you know, these things like mental illness, testicular cancer, prostate cancer and the like, and they don't go into isolation. They don't go into hiding. You know, they continue. Now, if anything, it's going to potentially be worse as far as ramifications of people not going off to a doctor and getting checked because they think that, you know, they don't need to or or the ramifications from things like mental health is going to be be drastic and and your mate Zach um, Zach mate who's the Movember psychologist just re- very recently released a, a statement to say the the recent data and statistics for the um, the suicide rates um, for 2019 it, it was previously it was on average six men six men every single day die by suicide but the recent data that's just been released is now up to seven. So that's not even taking into account COVID. So then you think, fuck me, what's next year going to be? Um, so you, you hear this stuff and you read this stuff and you think, well, though we're coming a long way, you go, fuck me, there's still so much work that needs to be done. And I think these organisations like Movember are, are doing an amazing job. So I think it's an important year that if you, you know, ever want get to get around to growing a mo and getting your mates together and creating a bit of a team and talking about these conversations and raising a bit of money for, for Movember, I think it's a... A perfect time to do it, um, and I'll be uh, I'll be getting my mo back in a couple of weeks, mate. And then you said you're doing the same, which is bloody great to hear. Yes, I am getting my own my own little team, and we'll, we'll have both <laughs> of our um, our links in the in the show notes, guys. If you want to join any of our teams and and any donation, no matter how big or small, would be incredible. That's stat that you you said about Zach, obviously Doctor Zach Sidlow, who's a, who's a good friend of our, both of ours, that, that came out. That fucking rocks me. I, I just don't. Well, that's from from that. That's the 2019 data that's been. That's released a 19 that's, data, and that's the, you know, that's the uh, alarming part is to think, you know, what's 2020 going to hold uh, as far as the data released from that, and it's um, then 2021, and and it just you, like you said, it is it is it's just it's it's yeah. You can't. I can never grapple my mind around that stuff. It's it's one of those things that. If you truly think about it, you know, that's every day. So today, you know, driving to work, wherever you're listening to this podcast, that's on average seven men today will end their own life. Seven men. And, you know, you think that's that's one day. And I think that's something that I, um, yeah, I can just never wrap my head around. I think it's something that I'm going to, you know, hopefully continue to strive towards and, and try and do what I can to change it. And I think that's... Uh, that's why Movember are doing some amazing things, mate. They are. They are. Um, yeah, mate, not much to say there. That's You've said it exactly. I think, if anything, today we've, we've learned a few things. And one of those things is early detection. Um, if I can, can summarise, that's probably the most important thing. It's breaking the stigma of, of that, you know, we are... Not all bulletproof. Um, we're definitely not all bulletproof. We've all got a, we've all got our own story in terms of our health, our physical and mental health. So, um, I think that's obviously the biggest thing from your story, mate. Would you Would you agree? Is, is the early detection? Yeah, mate. Early detection and prevention, and you know it, yeah. that's not just for um, for physical health. You know, and that's something that I think people can get out of this is that you hear the whole you know signs and symptoms. Absolutely, that's 
that's relevant to mental health. So I think for, for me, it's the, the prevention message, the prevention message, whether that's early detecting for a you know, pea-sized lump on your testicle, whether it's your bowels playing up, whether it's a bloody, you know, a dark freckle on your skin that you really should go off to the mm. dermatologist and get it checked out, or whether it's your mental health and there are signs and symptoms and you know, you know what, these last two weeks I've just been fucking off. I'm not sure why, I'm not sure what's happening here, but to realise that you need to act on that stuff and I think prevention's key. And so um, I touched on earlier, mate, with visiting the GP when I was struggling with my mental health. You know, if there's no other message from this and you think, when was it last I saw my GP and you actually can't even remember or you don't even know who your GP is, even that might be a good little uh, good little trigger to say, you know what, maybe it's about time just to have a bit of an annual checkup just to yeah. see how things are going. Um, and I think that's something that can go a long way. Yeah, 100%. I went and got my annual checkup a couple months ago. And again, I'd put it off for six months, I think, just to do it. And I was like, you know what? I just finished footy. I don't have a doctor anymore. I've lost, I'd lost about eight kilos, I think, just because of I wasn't working out full time. And I was like, no, nah, I want to just go make sure that, you know, like I'm actually okay and I'm eating enough and getting, you know, the right sort of things in. And yeah, just went and got a blood test. I hate needles, got it done, but, you know, everything was fine. But like I said, it was just sort of that good sort of affirmation to know that it was done and like before that being in a in a footy environment you'd think that you have blood tests all the time i reckon i've probably had two or three blood tests in my life like it's probably something that you really should lock in every year just to just to tick over mate 100 i'm a big one for that that you don't always have to go to a gp um if something's wrong it's that an annual checkup there's nothing wrong with an annual annual checkup and if you're if you go in and your gp goes mate why are you here you're fine well go see another gp because i can tell you now there are plenty of gps who are all for that that annual checkup just to kind of you know check your heart rate bits and pieces check your cholesterol have a blood test like you said just to see how things are tracking and i think there's absolutely nothing wrong with it second message and i suppose the second last thing i want to touch on with you is the last point and I'll, again it wasn't something that today I, I put a lot of i knew that we we're going to be talking about this but it, it's probably something that's really hit me a lot more than what i was expecting to and i think it's just you know again november coming up talking to you today about these sort of things and, and the stats that are obviously prevalent at the moment but let's just be checking out on everyone on our mates i know we say it a lot and even you know i say this shit all the time checking our mates and then i just log off and i forget like just let's just fucking do it like it's honestly it's like the doctor thing like you know you can rock up and the doctor can be like mate you're fine like you can text your mate and he goes no nah, no nah, genuinely i'm okay can you fuck off like that's that's a good that's a good answer you know Mate, you're spot on. That's something that I'm, that whole staying connected, checking on your mates, like you said, it's one thing saying it, which we were one thing doing it. And and Gus Warland, who I don't know if you know, he's, he's mm. a good guy. We've, he's um, incredible, yeah. Yeah, we've recently had a bit of work together. And one thing he, I've seen him do it live at a, a workshop we've done together, and it's fucking powerful. He actually gets people to pull their phone out and go through their contact list and see a contact that you haven't actually spoken to in a while, like an old schoolmate, footy mate, whoever it might be. And he said, all right, I want you to type this. And he goes, I want you to say... I love you, spelt properly, I love you, I miss you, hopefully see you soon, XOXO, send. And he, he's done this in a group of these army guys and you send it off and you get these responses back from people saying, you know, you know, you pissed or you bloody, you know, is this meant for your missus or whatever? But then, you know, you get the couple that come up to say, you know, thanks so much, I really needed that. Um, you know, I miss you too, XX. You know, little things like that, it's just generating that conversation. And, um, and he actually even put me on this i put a little reminder in my phone every friday to to reach out and message someone that i haven't heard from in a while whether it's an army mate or a schoolmate or someone i literally just message them and just go 
hey mate, hope all's well, just thinking of you, cheers Hugo. You know, something as simple as that. And it's such a good little habit to get into and and you're spot on. It's something that we can say we do, but we realise that we probably don't do. So I think it's a great point, mate. That's huge, man. I think that's a Hugo TV challenge for everyone listening. Um, Guys and girls, (laughs) dead set. Just just get your phone out and try and message someone you haven't spoken to in a while this week and and let us know how it goes. Um, Obviously, we'll have... Hugo's details of his his Instagram, his podcast, his website, his BSB. Um, we'll have it everywhere, um, everything on there. So make sure you please give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, last but not least, mate, and this is one question I haven't um, really gauged you for in this, but what's through everything you've been through in your life to where you are today, to what you've learned, what is your perspective on life now, I suppose? Like how do you live each day um, and what, what are the things that I suppose are most important to you? For me, mate, it's, um, you know, the family and friends. You know, going through what I've gone through, you realise who who in your life, you know, you, you care about and who in your life you're close with. And close with and, but then also realising how, like I've touched on, how precious life is. Um, and you don't want to be that person that if someone isn't here and you think, fuck, I wish I spoke to them more or I wish I hung out with them more, um, so for me, it's that whole grounded part of realizing that, you know, if I've got my health, which I do at the moment, I've got my family and my friends, um, you know, that goes a long way and it truly does because you hear that stuff all the time and I'm a massive one for it when they say when you're, you know, down the track, many years down the track and you've, you know, you've got a eulogy or you've got a gravestone and, you, you know, your time's done. No one sits around thinking about, you know, how much money you made and all this type of stuff or, you know, that type of thing. They talk about how good a bloke you were, um, you know, what you accomplished, what you did, you know, what you went through in your life. You know, they talk about the funny memories of you, the, the good times of you and, and that's something I always keep in the back of my mind is that, you know, ultimately if if everyone can live their life like that and, and me personally, if I can live my life like that, then, you know, not, everything else is, is almost irrelevant for me and that's something that I, I truly believe in. Mate, I honestly cannot thank you enough for your time today, your openness, um, hearing your stories is truly remarkable and it is an inspiration. Um, it's it's going to do so much good and it already has done so much good. Um, so I, I applaud you for, for keep going and, and to keep sharing your message and mate, it's, it's, it's pumped me right up. I want to go run through a fucking brick wall right now <laughs> and see a GP and just say, hey, what's going on? Um, no, but in all seriousness, thank you so much. Um, I can't wait to see what's next for you because it's going to be good things and more importantly I can't wait to, to catch up in the near future for a few cold beers and and um, it'll be good fun too Mate, I really do appreciate it and uh, I know you're a busy man with this type of stuff and I think it's um, giving me that opportunity I know I'm not a, a big name AFL player but the fact that um, you know you recognise that sometimes these conversations are, are pretty important I'd take my hat off to you for that mate and, and if people listening to this if anything sort of you know triggered anything or something's come up and they you know they're unsure about certain things um you know i'm more than happy that if you want to reach out to me directly and just have a chat of course i'm the most open guy in the world when it comes to that but then also you know make sure you you do do the right things and, and go after your gp and and talk about these things as well so no thanks still really do appreciate it mate love chatting with you you go to you're a superstar i'll talk to you soon my friend Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com.
or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble.